you have a Bible, and I hope you do. I'd love for you to find a place in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. If you're trying to find Ecclesiastes, you go to the book of Psalms and just go right a few pages. You'll find it tucked in right between Proverbs uh, and Isaiah. Thank you all for being with us today. Thank you for worshiping with us. And uh, I believe that God has a, a powerful, very important word for us today. Um, very convicting word for us today, um, at least for me. I don't know about y'all, but at least uh, God did work on my heart in preparation for this message. Now, last week we started out uh, with a game of Jeopardy. If you missed that, wow, you missed maybe the best service we ever had, um, at least for that five minutes of, of fun up front. Um, and uh, we had a lot of fun last week and we got a lot of help, I think, last week talking about doubt and, and um, how God um, wants us to put our faith in his plans. But uh, we started out with a game of Jeopardy and this week we'll keep things a little more low rent, not as uh, we didn't have the budget that we had last week. Right, so um, we'll keep things low rent, and we're just going to start out with a riddle. Um, not a very clever riddle, but it's still a riddle. Uh, what's something that has changed everyone's life, while at the same time hasn't added any actual value to anyone's life? And the whole point of a riddle is the paradox. It can be it can, the answer can be sort of contradictory, or the question seems to be contradicting itself. What's something that nobody needs? But hardly anybody goes a day without. And now again, that's a little bit of a paradox, but that's the point of riddles. Uh, but, I mean, what could something, what could it be that it offers us no value and we don't need it, yet it's so influential and it's such a part of maybe not everyone's daily lives, but most of our daily lives? What on earth could the answer be? There you go. Now, it makes complete sense, doesn't it? What is something that none of us need, yet all of us use, most of us use? What is something that adds no value to our lives at all, yet we live as if it's a very important or valuable part of our lives? Now, what is both nothing and everything at the same time? And that is none other than social media. And of course, there's more than just Facebook and Instagram, but these are the two big ones. And in the direction that we're going to go today, these are the ones where that are the most grievous offenders when it comes to a, uh, what is pertinent to our conversation. Now, some of you, you may be unbothered by social media, and God bless you if you are, uh, if you've managed to avoid it and live outside of its sphere. And, and some of you, even if you you know you don't deal with it or don't interact with it, I think that social media. And its principles and its values, and that's really a bad word, uh, it, it's the things that, it, that drives it and the things that kind of run the, the system and the engine that is social media, the things that are behind social media, they have spread so much into our society and culture. They have blended into things that even if you're not on social media, even if you swear against social media, even if you just consume normal old media, social media and the things that kind of are running it and, and things that it kind of promotes, that has soaked its way into everything that none of us are completely untouched by what social media has done to our world. You can't consume any media that's free from social media's influence. Now, social media started out as a way of communication, and that's a great thing. We have so many ways to communicate with each other now, we don't know which one to use to communicate with people, right? Social media began as a platform for communication, and it still is that, but over time, it has evolved, or maybe devolved, it has evolved into and become mostly what I'll call, and I think you'll agree, a highlight reel. 
a highlight reel of normal people like me and you, uh, our lives that we get to selectively share with the world. Now, it's where we post our best and our brightest, our finely edited and our mostly staged pictures or moments, uh, moments that we capture that make Hallmark cards and movies look relaxed and candid. If we're being honest, maybe that's a little bit too harsh, uh, but and with every new style and fashion, with every new trendy backdrop or scenery, with every new phone and camera upgrades, the highlight reels become more glamorous and more glossy. And all the while, for most of us, they become more influential and more intimidating, whether we'll admit it or not. Isn't it true that there is in all of us a sense of self-consciousness. We all express it. Some of us suppress it in different ways. Now, some say, I don't care. I'm completely untethered. I'm unfazed by what other people show off. It's my job to ask you, are you really unfazed by it? And maybe that's your way of suppressing the self-consciousness you actually have. And I'm not a psychologist, but maybe that's what's going on. Could it be that some of us will confess we scroll up and down, over and across, and there's just no way that it doesn't have an effect on us. Meanwhile, we work up our own reel to share. We can't help but check the traffic of likes and comments and interactions. And, and, and maybe, maybe you don't share and maybe you quit sharing because you realize that there wasn't as much interest or approval in what you had to offer compared to other people. Now, I gotta be honest, the, the most profound impact that social media, particularly Instagram, the most profound impact that social media has had on me is when it comes to shoes. Nobody's gonna laugh at that. Maybe you'll laugh later, but uh, when it comes to shoes, not that I would see other people's nice shoes and say, I've got to have those because I kind of like what I like and I buy the same color. I buy a different color with the same pair. So I haven't been, you know, I haven't been sold on shoes because I see people wearing them. But what's happened with me is, um, well, actually, there's this account on Instagram that smears megachurch pastors who wear like $1,000 shoes. And I follow it because I think it's kind of funny to see people that are wearing shoes that are more, that cost more money than their cars. Um, uh, preachers and sneakers, you should check it out. I tried to get featured on it because I bought a pair of Jordans just so I could fit in. It was a cheap pair and it wasn't, they weren't expensive enough to get featured, so don't worry. Um, but uh, I, I did it ironically, but they didn't like my picture, so no, no, nonetheless. Uh, but uh, and they don't, I would wear them to church, but they don't match my dress clothes, so I wear them through the week and y'all can see me in them. But uh, really, Instagram's influence on me and shoes took effect when I started having pictures with Lindsay um, that weren't just selfies, right? Professional pictures, photographers, you know, photography pictures that are taken, you know, wherever you take pictures nowadays. And it dawned on me because I would observe other people's pictures and I would see guys, and I'm just picking on guys here, but maybe it applies to ladies too. But I would look at pictures of, of you know, men and men with their families and their wives or whatever. And, and I would see men wearing these old raggedy shoes. And I would think, do my shoes look that bad? And as I started, you know, me and Lindsay started taking pictures together and I began to go to those places and I would look at my shoes and think, people are going to see these shoes and pictures and they're going to think, is that all he has or is he not more, you know, does he have more, no more taste and does he not care more about his wife than he would wear a decent pair of shoes? And, and this is kind of how my brain works and maybe yours is free from this frenzy, but this is just how it works for me. And I would, I would see pictures of people and I would think those shoes ruined the whole picture. Uh, because they're just tacky or they're just dirty. And, and, you know, I'm sorry if I made you self-conscious about your shoes 
um, or maybe your wife's going to get on you or someone's going to get on you because you have a picture that your shoes are dirty. I'm sorry if that happened, unless your shoes are dirty or tacky and maybe you need to feel bad about it. Um, but I'm only doing this because it happened to me and hurt people hurt people. So that's just out of the world that we live in. Uh, but it made me realize that if I'm paying attention to other people's shoes, then people are probably paying attention to my shoes. And I became a little bit, let's say, obsessive over making sure that I wore clean and, and you know, appropriate shoes. Especially when it for, for pictures. But even when I'm up here talking to y'all, I don't want to be wearing, you know, raggedy or old or, you know, shoes that are not nice. You all can't even see me, so it's not a big deal. Uh, but uh, I, long story short, I bought some special sneakers just for photos, just for photo shoots, because Lindsay likes to have her picture made, and she looks really pretty, and I kind of look halfway decent whenever I try to match her. So I have a special pair of shoes. So if you pay attention to our photos, you can zoom in on the feet, and I'm wearing this very special, very clean <laughs> pair of shoes. And she loved my teal shoes so much that she picked out a maternity dress that had the teal green in it. Just so she can match my shoes. I, I don't know. Maybe that's why I think she just liked the green. But I have this pair of shoes. Now I have other pair of shoes besides this green pair of shoes. But I have to keep this pair of shoes very clean because I don't want people zooming in on the shoes. Because that's what you do, right? I, zooming in on the shoes. And I was going to post this picture just with the shoes. But I thought that would be kind of vain and kind of mean because Lindsay looks really good. And I'm not even want people thinking, well, what's, what's wrong with him? You've got enough reasons to think that there's some things wrong with me. So um, I've got a few pair of shoes that I have, some for preaching, some for taking pictures and all that. Thankfully, though, that's the only adverse effect social media has had on me. Everything else, I'm, and it doesn't bother me any other way. It hasn't had a negative impact on me any other way. Not a bit. But <laughs> I'm picking about shoes or I'm making, making light about shoes, but really... All of us observe the various highlight reels that are put in front of us day after day. And usually they're professionally shot like this, and it looks like everything is all well in the world. But no matter who you are, no matter where you are in life and how you're doing in life, with every scroll, we come close to a trap set by the enemy. And here's how meticulous and how deceptive and how crafty and subtle the enemy is. He sets those traps just for you. When you, a parent, see other happy families, husbands or wives who seem like a perfect match, kids who cooperate or have achieved and accomplished great things, meanwhile, things are different for you and things are different for yours. When you, a single person, a divorced person, a widowed person, see smiling couples celebrating yet another milestone. When you, a person frustrated by a struggling season or scenario in your life that holds you back and it's held you back, you see other people flexing and progressing in life. When you, when all of us, See people on the opposite end of the spectrum as us, doing life differently than us, in a way we've been taught is wrong, in a way we've been taught won't pay off. When we see people and we wonder, how and why are they experiencing happiness and prosperity that I'm absent of, that I'm supposed to have, that they're not supposed to have based on how they're living? We watch and we focus, we obsess and we dwell. And with every highlight reel, we are taunted, and we are tempted, and we are tested. Every highlight reel is a trap. What kind of trap? A comparison trap. 
And it's not just people that are on social media that come upon these traps. All media, it may not offer us anything of value or add significance to our lives, but we all fall for these traps again and again. And if you get caught in these traps, it will take a significant toll on your life. And you and we will be worse for wear in every way imaginable. The thing about these comparison traps, we often are unaware that we are stepping right into them. And we often are even more oblivious to how they overtake us and reshape us and dominate our outlooks in life. How we view who we are, what we have, and how we are doing will completely shift with just one of these comparison traps being triggered. So we must be on guard. Not just on social media. There are comparison traps everywhere. They thrive on social media. But all around us as we observe those behind us and ahead of us in life. Beware. Beware the competitive nature within you because there is no win in comparison. Beware. Every single one of us has this nature that likes the competition and likes the idea of trying to get ahead of somebody and likes the idea of doing what they did and doing it better. Every one of us fall for these traps and it seems like something that is good and good-natured and part of the human spirit. But it is a trap. There is no win in comparison. Now we're in week two of a series we're calling Fiery Darts. As if we haven't had enough darts just strung at us this morning. But those are good kind of darts. These are the bad kind of darts we're talking about. Inspired by this passage in Ephesians, or a passage of scripture in Ephesians chapter 6. The trap set by the enemy is on a new thing. And social media didn't invent these traps. The enemy has been sizing us up, targeting us, and aiming fiery darts, flaming arrows at our hearts since the dawn of time. His goal, the enemy's goal, is to wound our hearts so that he may rule our hearts with negative emotions that will tear away your faith and empty you, wring every ounce of joy out of you. He has a goal, he has an agenda, and he's a professional at it. He wounds our hearts, he rules our hearts, he takes our faith and empties us of joy. We were put on alert by this in Ephesians 6 verse 16, where Paul says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So this tells us we must be protected and guarded if we want to evade these fiery darts, these traps set by the enemy. They are different, many different kinds of arrows that come our way emotionally, financially, relationally. And we spent the first week talking about the enemy's desire to sift us and destroy us by breaking our fellowship with God, filling our hearts and minds with doubt. We talked about the strategic nature of flaming arrows throughout history. How the armies in the ancient world would use flaming arrows to surprise their opposition. Set them on fire in all the worst ways. The armies that mastered the flaming arrows knew exactly what to do and how to do it. Just like Satan knows our weaknesses, he exploits them to cause us more hardships and trials. And again, his goals are always to decrease our faith and deplete our faith and our joy, which is why we need that shield of faith, lest we get pierced by and immersed into a mentally, emotionally, and spiritually dark place far from God. And in that place, our hearts being wounded are filled with and are ordering our minds and take, to take steps 
in all the wrong directions. Jesus said this about our hearts when they are wounded and struck by the enemy's fiery darts. He said this. Out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. As in, when our hearts are wounded and we don't allow those wounds to heal and we don't minister to those wounds to recover those wounds, when our hearts are wounded, they are left vulnerable and the enemy takes rule over us and begins to ruin our walk with God by leading us in directions that are far from God. That the sin never happens on its own. It's a wound of the heart. It's a vulnerability of the heart that leads to those lifestyles that we know are not good for us. But it all begins in our hearts. If our guard is down, eventually the darts will leave a mark. If we are not proactive, we will fall for a trap and begin living life from that trap. And maybe the most dangerous trap of them all that covers every path we tread. The arrow the enemy has filled his quiver with most these days is the temptation we face on a daily basis to live in the land of comparison. To compare ourselves, which at its core, and you may not understand this at first, or you may not agree with this at first, at its core, this nature to compare ourselves, this trap of comparison, is an invitation to embrace a life of jealousy and envy. This may be the most dangerous, fiery dart of them all, the most toxic trap of them all. Now, maybe you don't see the connection between competitiveness and jealousy, comparison and jealousy, but allow me to peel back the layers of our broken hearts, if you will. When you feel inferior or when you feel less than compared to somebody else, what do you think that is? When you look at somebody and you look at somebody's life or someone's highlight reel or you're looking across the street or down the aisle, when you look at somebody and you feel like they're ahead of you and that makes you feel something negative inside. When you see somebody and you think, I need what they have. I should be where they're at. It's their fault or it's my fault or it's somebody's fault whether we're pointing the finger or looking in the mirror. When we compare ourselves and we feel inferior because of somebody else's presentation, what do you think that is? You are judging yourself based on somebody else's success. And you are feeling negative about yourself because you're looking at somebody else and you're allowing them to be the standard. And you're judging yourself. That's a result of jealousy. And you may not be jealous of them, but you're jealous for who they are and you're jealous for what they have. Isn't it true? You may not be jealous of her. You would never want to be her. But you'd love to have what she has. You may not be jealous of him. You're, you know, you're, you're, not, you're not like him in any way. But you would love to have what he has. Wouldn't you? You see, a jealous heart is a vulnerable heart. It's a discontent heart. There is no peace in a jealous heart. And to go from brokenness to maliciousness, and this is really slimy, but it's in us all. Have you ever been happy? <laughs> You're in church, remember, so be honest. Have you ever been happy when somebody else fails? Have you ever been happy when somebody else's highlight reel unravels? You knew it was fake. You knew it was fake. Or you knew it was ticking. You knew that it was not going to last. And you knew that if they, if you, you, know, no, you know what no one else knows because you've heard from someone else that knows them. You knew it wasn't going to last. And when it unravels, 
and sometimes it unravels in a very big and, and, and you know, bombastic way, something in you, and you wouldn't say this out loud, but something in you smiles. And maybe it's not someone on social media. Maybe it's somebody on the opposite end of you politically or the opposite end of you and your ideologies. And it's, they're bigger than you and they, they would never even think about you. But when their life unravels, you feel like you're justified. You feel good about yourself because you're right, they're wrong, and they're getting theirs. Hmm. And you didn't express it. Of course you didn't. But you thought it, didn't you? And in that jealous heart of yours is this vindictive spirit. And maybe, maybe what actually is going on is you were jealous that God showed mercy to them. Oh, don't put it this way, Justin. You were jealous that God showed mercy to them and God showed grace to them when you didn't think they deserved it. Because where did they get the blessings from? God. And we were just jealous that God showed them mercy and grace that we decided they did not deserve. And we were glad when they finally got what they deserved. You see, on the either end of the spectrum, jealousy and comparison are dangerous fire to play with. And when Satan shoots these darts of jealousy in our hearts, there is a temptation to take that fire and harness that fire for ourselves and weaponize that fire towards others. And I promise you, I promise you, when you entertain comparison and jealousy, you are entertaining your own demise. The wisest man that ever lived, Solomon wrote, Envy makes the bones rot. That's after it's put you in the ground, if you didn't connect that. You see, the thing, that, the thing in us that compares and competes, sometimes, most of the time, people that aren't even mindful of us, we compare ourselves to, it carries only negative implications for our hearts. If there is any fiery dart, if there is any trap, we must figure out how to evade and escape. It's this one. But I've got some bad news for you. Jealousy and comparison are conditions and temptations that we will never solve and never completely avoid in this world. It's reality that we live in, and that's why we must turn to God's Word and put faith in His Word so that we may endure in a world where comparison and jealousy constantly pull at us. And thankfully, the aforementioned Solomon offers more than just this comment about jealousy. He offers us a shield to carry with us every day that will help us endure, help you evade and escape the temptations and the traps. And you may have never read Ephesians chapter 4, or Ecclesiastes chapter 4, but I promise you, after today, I think this will be one of your go-to chapters. I think you may even find some verses you will need to commit to memory. I think these verses could be the shield you need to carry around in this world, in this day and age. Look at Ecclesiastes 4, verse 4. Again, I saw that for all toil and every skillful work, a man is envied by his neighbor. So it didn't just start in the 21st century. Jealousy and comparison have been around since people have been around. Everyone is competing with and comparing themselves to everyone at all times. Something beneath our consciousness, it is there. We are determining where we are and how we are based on where other people are and how other people are. And look at what Solomon says. 
this also is vanity or this is meaningless. As in, there is a line of thought that says if we entertain jealousy and are driven by jealousy, if we compare and compete, then maybe we'll get better off and we'll get ahead. Maybe we'll find happiness and we'll find success. But Solomon warns you. Don't fall for that trap. Jealousy and comparison and competitiveness is a pathway to nothingness. Worse than that, it will empty your heart of the joy God wants to fill it with and empty you and fill you or make you absent of that which you need. And you will be dominated by vanity and emptiness. And that's a condition our world knows a lot about today. Let me ask you a strange, a strange question. I've already asked you a couple strange questions. Let me ask you a strange question. Do you ever have imaginary conversations with people? I mean, somebody's going to call some professional help for me. Um, do you ever have... I know I'm not the only person that does this. Maybe there's that person that you feel like has it too good at your expense, maybe. Maybe they're better off than you. Maybe they don't even know you, but you'd love for them to know you for at least five minutes. And maybe they're above you or over you and you dream of being able to put them in their place. You ever been there? And maybe you have an audience in this imaginary conversation that you think of. And fire surrounds you and the other person. And everybody's cheering you on because you're about to say some truth to somebody that needs to hear it. And the ironic thing is, is maybe the person that you dream of talking to also thinks that you are the one that needs to talk to because they see you as the one that's ahead of them. But you never would know it because both of you are looking at the wrong thing. Maybe in these imaginary settings, you've got a crowd cheering you on as you rehearse these conversations, as you entertain and feed off that energy. Jealousy and comparisons, ownership over you gets tighter and tighter because you just want to tell somebody how they don't deserve it as near as good as they've got it. And you, you of all people, should have it better than them. And it gets in your crawl, doesn't it? And it festers and it builds up and it begins to drive you and give you ambition that it doesn't take you to a good place. See, Solomon says that when we give our minds over to jealousy and comparison, we are emptying our hearts of our purpose and our peace. You see that? When you give your mind over to jealousy and comparison, when you begin to look at someone else's life and you begin to say, well, why, they don't deserve that. How did they get that? And why did they have that and not me? And what would it look like if I had that? And maybe the reason I don't have that is because the people on my side are not pulling their weight. And all of a sudden our minds begin to wonder and our hearts begin to go in a wrong direction. And we begin to lose our purpose and lose our peace as this sense of jealousy and this nature of comparison dominates. We begin to rearrange our life and step into other people's lanes out of competition, not with them, but for what they have and who they are. When you begin to run in a direction because you've let jealousy and comparison dominate your heart, look at what Solomon says that's the equivalent of in verse 4 at the end of it. And your translation may be different than this, but I'll explain. Solomon says, this also is vanity and grasping for the wind. Now, King James, I'm reading New King James. King James says vexation of spirit. And let me explain. In Hebrew, the word spirit and wind are the same word. Ruah. Spirit, wind, same Hebrew word. Vexation in that context means exhausting. So the idea that you are exhausting yourself and the better approach in this, uh, this context would seem to suggest that it should be chasing the wind. But either way, the message here is this. 
that a life given over to jealousy, a life ruled by competition and competitiveness is going to exhaust your spirit because it's chasing after the wind. You cannot catch the wind. You'll never satisfy jealousy. You'll never satisfy comparison. You'll never satisfy that kind of competitiveness. Andy Stanley calls this living in the land of Ur. Chasing after the wind. He says living in the land, chasing after the wind is living in the land of Ur. Every day we are reminded of other people's better and newer and nicer and prettier and richer and smarter and faster and can I go on and on and on. That's life in America, isn't it? Living in the land of earth. You cannot enjoy your purpose and you cannot find peace in your provision, your blessings, your opportunities and your success because you're always looking at somebody else's. You see, in the land of earth, Everybody chases the wind and everyone's hearts are dominated by dissatisfaction. It's like the guy who had bigger barn syndrome in Luke 12. Remember him? He kept building bigger barns and bigger barns because he kept getting more and wanting to be better and bigger than everybody else. And after a while, he forfeited his soul chasing the wind and he did not just lose his joy. He lost his life. So don't tell me this is not, doesn't apply to all of us, because it does. Do you understand what's at risk here? When we chase after the wind, we will never catch it. If you're always looking for bigger and better and newer and nicer, it's like a wise man once said, there's always a bigger fish. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Are you telling me that my ambition and my desire is rooted in bad things? Are you telling me that I shouldn't have motivation and goals? No, I'm not saying that. And I'm thankful that Solomon says this next verse before he continues the lesson of jealousy. Verse 5. A fool holds his hands and consumes his own flesh. He says, a fool sits on his lap or sits on his hands and says, I'm not going to try. Solomon is not advocating a life where we say, why try? He's not advocating a life of folding our hands and being passive or thinking that we should not set goals. He's just trying to get us to do something very important. And look up here. If you don't hear anything else, this is important. Solomon is trying to get us to take a sober look at our lives and our purpose and check the tank of our joy and our peace. Which God wants to give every one of us. And God has placed us into a lane in which he will give us what we need. Solomon says, I'm not advocating or endorsing forfeiting your dreams or forfeiting ambition. I just want to make sure that you're living out the dreams and ambitions that God has for you. And that you're not being robbed of that because you're too caught up in his dreams and ambitions he has for somebody else. You hear that? He said, I don't care. I'm all for you chasing after your dreams. God has dreams to put in your heart. But make sure you're chasing those dreams and not somebody else's. And potentially, you're only caught up in the illusion someone else is presenting. But either way, Solomon says, beware lest you forfeit your purpose and your peace because you're too busy comparing it all with somebody else's. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that, is that I'm not convicting? 
Maybe it just is for me, but I think that is one of the most convicting things we can ever think of in process. Beware lest you forfeit your purpose and your peace. You know how many marriages end? Because people are too busy comparing themselves with somebody else's purpose and peace. You know how many families fall apart? You know how many careers end? You know how many dreams die because people forfeit their purpose and their peace because they're too busy looking across the aisle at somebody else's? You know how many Christians are living a life of emptiness and vanity because they're too busy comparing it all with somebody else's purpose and peace? Church, we will never escape or evade this temptation because we live in a world where everyone flaunts their success at us. And we are always measuring ours against everyone else's. This isn't a new world problem. Solomon says it happened before he was around. Look and listen at what Solomon says next. Because this needs to be somebody's life verse. And has the power to save you from the comparison traps that pull at us. Verse 6. Better is a handful, a single handful... Better is a handful with quietness or tranquility or contentment. Better is one handful of quietness and peace than both hands full, clenched, clawing up the ladder. Better is one handful of quietness than two hands full together with toil and grasping after the wind. If there is, an, if there is another indictment on American Christians, I don't know one to give you. But this was going on since before there was an America, so this isn't just our problem. Better is one handful of God gives and God takes than two handfuls gripping the ladder as tight as they can, scraping and clawing, climbing against everything they may be losing in the process. Better is one handful of peace than two handfuls of toil. Tranquility, satisfaction, and contentment are better. Even if you have less, because it beats losing yourself. Our world and our enemy are constantly reminding us and will never stop reminding us of our shortcomings. The devil whispers every day at you look at their family, look at their kids, look at their wife, look at their husband. Look at this other person that's completely off the radar. Look at their church. I mean, this is, a, this is a big issue in the spiritual world as well. A lot of people can't find a church to be contented and grow in because they're too busy looking at every other one across the road. Every single day, we are bombarded with fiery darts that aim to stir up discontentment and stir up jealousy. And, and let me say this. There, there's enough of this in the world where you can't avoid it. If you're going places... If you're going places like social media, political news, where the entire operation is ran by the devil with a goal of stirring up your heart in the wrong way and trying to get you discontent and dissatisfied and all out of sorts, maybe it's time to quit scrolling and maybe it's time to quit clicking and maybe it's time to quit watching. Maybe. Solomon's not done. Verse 7 and 8. Then I returned and saw vanity under the sun. And listen to this sad situation that I think describes so many of us. 
There is one alone without companion. He has neither son nor brother, yet there is no end to his labors, nor is his eye satisfied with his riches. But he never asked, and, and this is so profound, and I hope that it will make us ask these questions. For whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? As in, I keep on working, and I keep on comparing, and I keep on being jealous, and I keep on trying to get, get more and more handfuls, but I'm never even enjoying what I've got. Who am I even doing all this for? And Solomon says, this guy, by the way, had no heirs, had no family that he was going to pass this along to, but he continually compared himself and was jealous of somebody else that he would not give himself rest. He never stopped and asked the question, what have I even doing this for? Again, this isn't about taking away your ambition or your desire for better or your, in your situation, your home, your work life your, in general. This is about making sure you're driven by the right motives. So I want you to ask yourself these questions today. I don't know what your situation is. You know, you're married, not married, divorced, widowed, trying to get married, just got married, just had a kid, have, trying to have. I don't know what your situation is. Working two jobs, three jobs, trying to find a job. I, I don't know what it is. Trying to do what someone else wants you to do, trying to do what you want, trying to figure all that out. But I want you to ask these questions. Why am I doing this? What's really driving me? What am I trying to prove? And who am I trying to prove something to? And I'm, I'll, be, I'll be honest with you. This is where a lot of us, it, would it takes a long time to figure these answers out. This is where I, I think it can take a lot of prayer and thought to shuffle through our different answers. Because some of us will say something that we think is the answer, but it's not the answer. You know what I mean? Well, I'm doing it for somebody. Are you really? I'm doing it because it just has to. Are you really? Why are you doing it? What's really driving you? What are you trying to prove? And to whom are you trying to prove it? This stuff can be deep-rooted. Sometimes, sometimes, and this is deep for a lot of us, and maybe it can't be fixed because somebody's not here anymore. A lot of us were trying to get somebody's approval. You ever been there? You're jealous for someone's approval. Maybe your parents. Maybe a parent you never had. Or you never got to meet. Or never knew. Never knew you. A lot of us were jealous for somebody's approval. Maybe they never made you feel like you were accepted. Maybe they always made you feel like you had to earn it. And you're still trying to earn it. That's the kind of jealousy. Isn't it? Can I say the only person's approval that you need is from God? I mean, you said that louder. The only person's approval that you need, and I know it's easy to say that, but it's so hard to live like that, isn't it? The only person's approval that we need, and in the blood of Jesus and in the love of Jesus, you are accepted just like you are. You may never make your mom or your dad or your husband or your wife or somebody else that you feel like you're tethered to. You may never make them feel like you have accept, lived up to their expectations. But God says, you do not have to live or earn my approval. I've already given it to you. And again, this isn't because God doesn't want you to chase after things. God has a purpose for you, has a peace for you, but you won't find it trying to live up to somebody else's expectations. He, what he offers us is back in verse 6. Better is a handful of peace than two hands clenched of toil. Solomon says, if we turn to any other source for motivation, we actually deprive ourselves of the joy God meant us to have 
from what he gave us. We vex our spirits. We chase after the wind. Discontentment dominates. And let me just say this with all love. You'll never be who you were created to be as long as you take direction and motivation from anybody other than your creator. You hear that? Maybe you're trying to live up to some version of the world that said, hey, you should be. You'll never be who you were created to be as long as you take direction from somebody that did not create you. God has a plan for you. But if you're distracted by somebody else's plan for you or someone else's life and his plan for them, you'll never experience God's plan and God's peace. But this is where it comes down to the time that you spend with God, specifically the time that you spend seeking his will for your life. And here's what that doesn't include. It doesn't include competing and comparing your way to peace because that will never work. God has a lane for you. God will make that lane known to you and most likely already has. James chapter 1 says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. So maybe it's time you determine what is from God and what isn't from God and where you should be taking your cues from and where you should not be taking your cues from and understand that if it's from Him, it's good and it's perfect. There is no shadow. There is no variation. There is no discrepancy. God has made you for a purpose and a peace and God does not want you feeling like that you you have to turn to somebody else for direction. So who has God made you to be? What are his gifts to you? Don't focus on someone else because that only stifles progress. Some advice to parents and husbands and wives and bosses and coaches that I want to give you before we close. Some advice to parents and spouses and bosses and coaches. Anybody who has influence over anybody else. Encourage your children and your partners and your employees, and your students to be who God made them to be and love that person like they are. Encourage them and love them because they need it. We all need it, don't we? Solomon said, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bonds rot. Do you want a heart of peace. Maybe you don't have one. And maybe you didn't realize the reason why you don't have one is because you continually scroll your life away. Or you look across the road at someone else's life. You look down at someone else's life and you wonder, why can I have it like them? Or maybe you're trying to live up to somebody else's expectations for you and you wonder why you can never be full because you're always being emptied in the process of trying. I think for a lot of us, the starting point is to understand that God has already given us so much to be at peace with. He's outlined a path for you to always maintain that peace. A lot of us, we need to start here and admit or understand that God's already given you so much to be at peace with. He's outlined a path to maintain that peace. We all are familiar with Philippians chapter 4. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says while he's in prison. I don't, I don't speak in respect of need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and to abound. I know how to be hungry and to be full. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Today, 
when you find yourself drifting to jealousy in comparison, when you're tempted to compare yourself, when you, I want you to raise this shield of contentment and determination. I want us as a people to raise our shield because we are being attacked every single day. No matter what generation you're from, no matter what age you are, you are tempted by comparison and jealousy every single day. To forfeit the peace God wants to give you to chase after somebody else's version. So I want us to say something together. I'm going to read it first and then we'll go back and read it together. This is something I think, a confession that you can make day after day, that can help you begin to see what God's already given you and begin to search his scriptures out for a pathway to maintain that peace and use that peace for, or use what he's given you for his glory. So here's our resolve. As people who want to be free from the traps of comparison and jealousy. I'm going to seek out Christ where I am at and seek to glorify him with all I am. I'm going to follow him wherever he leads me. As in not where somebody else leads somebody else or not where he leads somebody else. Where he leads me. And I got to tell you, unless we put this helmet on every single day, you will fall for comparison and you will give yourself into jealousy. This is a daily approach you've got to take to combat this attack from the enemy. So I'm going to uh, so say this with me, if you will. Let's go back. I'm going to seek out Christ where I am at and seek to glorify him with all I am. I'm going to follow him wherever he leads me. The alternative is to chase after the wind. And we all know where that leads us. To meaninglessness and becoming meaningless. The world taunts us and tempts us and sets a trap for us. We're tempted to compare ourselves and invite to compete with each other. Jealousy and envy lord over us and want to enslave us. But we know there's a better approach to seek out and a better ambition to take on. And that is what comes from God who accepts us as we are and promises to give us purpose and peace. But we don't find that by looking over our shoulder, listening to 10 other opinions. We don't find that by scrolling and by envying, but by being content in his plan and celebrating his plans for other people. But as for us. We find purpose and contentment by trusting in God's plan and living life with open hands, refusing to chase the wind, following only after him. He promises to provide enough, and Jesus, of course, is enough. He has blessed us and will bless us all. And oh, we would not let this world get us to a place where we count other people's blessings instead of our own how meaningless, how unfortunate is that? As meaningless as chasing after the wind. Better is a handful of peace than two handfuls of chasing after the wind. Because every time you open it, you realize you've already lost what you grabbed for. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for this sobering look into our own hearts. All of us 
are bombarded with fiery darts from the enemy that tempt us with jealousy and envy and comparison and competition. So few of us are at peace with what you've given us and who you've made us to be because we're so preoccupied with who you, what you've given other people and what you haven't given us and who somebody else is to be. Father, would you sober our hearts today and would you help us to take a look at our joy and our peace? And would you help us to be honest about why we do what we do and for who do we do what we do? And would you hold us to this reality that the only approval that matters is from you and the only invitation that matters is from you and the only calling in life that matters is from you and help us to sort through all that and come out of the fire, come out of the battle with our eyes on you and our hearts full of the purpose you have for us and the peace and the joy that comes from that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.